Now broadcasting from his hidden bunker and fully stocked bar, it is the Saturday Report with Hope Sebastian Taylor. Thank you and welcome once again, my friends, after a one-week hiatus to the Saturday Report with me, Colt Sebastian Taylor, adventurer, entrepreneur, and amateur vacationer, and welcome to AWSM Radio, an independent digital-only radio station that plays today's best music, old-school classics, along with a rotating uh, cast of all-star DJs. AWSM Radio focuses on mainstream artists, independent artists, along with a variety of interesting talk and music shows throughout the day. All we do is entertain, inspire, and inform. And my friends, I want you to be part of the conversation, so find me on the Twitter, on the Rizzle, on the Instagram, and even on the Cameo, which I mean, I'm doing, actually I'm doing, doing a video uh, just after the show for someone, uh, at Colt S. Taylor. And of course, if you have missed a previous show, you can catch the uh, podcast version of the show at anchor.fm slash Colt S. Taylor. And then for all things Colt Sebastian Taylor, visit ColtSebastianTaylor.com. All right, my friends, after two weeks off, let's get ready for this week's Saturday Report. First up this week, we go to India, where I have many, many, many fans of the show over there. Hello, my fantastic folks from the Asian subcontinent. Well, guess what's coming to India starting actually today? Actually today. It's starting actually today. The first 7-Eleven is opening in Mumbai today. Hopefully I'm saying that correctly. I'm very terrible pronouncing pronouncing people's names and places uh, across the world, and even in the United States. Terrible at But the first 7-Eleven is opening today, Saturday, in Mumbai. Uh, one of probably hundreds to open across the country. Uh, this is a deal between 7-Eleven and um, uh, Reliance. Reliance, um, uh, Reliance Retail, which is the commerce arm of uh, Mushkesh Ambani's conglomerate, uh, who does a lot of different business in India, uh, energy, chemicals, retail, communications. Uh, 7-Eleven was going to be partnering with another partner, but that deal fell through. But, but, he swept in, swept in and uh, uh, grabbed the deal, and now he'll be helping opening 7-Elevens all across India. First, first though, concentrating on the greater Mumbai area, according to a statement from Reliance Retail. Now, uh, Ambani is India's richest person with a net worth of $99.1 billion, with a B, dollars. Um, that's, that's a lot of billions. I mean, I don't, him and I are not good friends, but, sir, if you're listening to the show, I'd sure love to be your pal. I mean, you got so many billions lying around. Why not be a big-time sponsor of the show? Just say, just say. For it makes sense. Seven Eleven, the Saturday part, Saturday report with Colt Sebastian Taylor, makes sense to me. Now uh, he is uh, battling uh, other international companies for retail dominance in the country. Uh, he's currently engaged in a uh, in a legal battle with Amazon uh, and plans to take on Walmart uh, as well for retail in the country. Uh, he's been trying to uh, purchase future retail. But Amazon is trying to stop that uh, merger or purchase. And recently, the Supreme Court of India ruled in favor of Amazon to stop the acquisition. Um, he is also, Reliance, the company is also building Joy Mart 
an e-commerce platform that can eventually offer everything from electronics to apparel to pharmaceuticals and healthcare. And, and, um, yeah, this is just the latest, the latest uh, move on his part to open up 7-Elevens in India. Uh, a statement from Joe Pen Joe DePinto, CEO of SEI, the owner of 7-Eleven, added that the uh, new uh, new business relationship between the two companies will bring the chain to millions of Indian customers. Uh, to quote him, India is the second largest country in the world and has one of the fastest growing economies. It's an ideal time for the largest convenience retailer in the world to make our entry. So, my friends in India, if you uh, happen across a 7-Eleven in the Mumbai area, let me know. But uh, a staple of American culture, 7-Eleven is now going to be in India. Ask yourself, why do they call it 7-Eleven? Well, my friends, uh, originally, the convenience store was open from 7 a.m. to 11 p.m. Uh, much earlier, much later, later than many convenience stores would stay open at the time. This was decades ago. Um, decades and decades ago. And so it was a very well-known convenience store for late-night whatevers and early morning coffee, 7-Eleven. Uh, now most are open 24 hours a day. Um, but they still retain the name 7-Eleven because it's pretty much their brand and, and, and you know, iconic brand and logo. Um, but now they are coming. Now they're coming to your country. So enjoy. I would recommend uh, maybe avoid the slushies. They're not very good for you. They're high in sugar and, you know, so many calories. So terrible. But uh, if you do come across one, take a picture. Send it to me, Colt S. Taylor on Twitter. If you do, I'll give you a shout-out on the show. So stay, stay tuned, friends. This weekend, right now, there's now a new, unless something got delayed, new open 7-Eleven in India. Next, we go to Pakistan and Japan, where this week, uh, about three or four hours apart, there were two powerful earthquakes that struck both countries. Uh, Pakistan suffered a 5.9 uh, magnitude shock to the the, uh, the area in, um, let's see here, uh, da -da 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 uh, in near the Harnani district, east of the provincial capital of Quetta, uh, in the southwestern Balochistan province, if that makes sense. I'm saying the name wrong. And then there was a 6.1 earthquake in the Chiba province, uh, which was just east of Tokyo in Japan. Uh, now, in Pakistan, uh, there were uh, about... Uh, ooh, at least uh, two dozen deaths related to the earthquake and several hundred injured. Uh, mostly, you know, this is a very rural, rural part of Pakistan with a lot of mud houses that just do not stand up well to that course, sort of shaking. And the emergency personnels were, um, personnel being sent out to the area. Uh, the earthquake was very shallow in that area, making it much more damaging to the area. In Japan, uh, had a slightly more powerful earthquake, but no reports of damage or injuries in that country. Uh, Japan is much well known, more well known for its earthquakes, and has retrofitted many of its buildings to be very as safe as you as one can be in earthquakes. Uh, in Japan, Japan's a little bit better off than uh, most countries around the world, actually. Uh, so that one struck, I uh, believe, in the middle of the night. Morning, I don't know, and um, I know it was I know it was 
I don't, I don't know the time zone differences, but uh, a lot of people were you know, filming it. Uh, cars coming to a stop as light posts shake and people streaming online, stopping their streams, waiting for the earthquake to end. Uh, but again, no damage in Japan, few brief power outages, no tsunami. They fared a little bit better than uh, Pakistan, um, but it's uh, it's not not strange or super uncommon, but certainly not very common to have two powerful earthquakes on the same day, um, not too far from each other. I mean, in terms of speaking of the world, Pakistan and Japan are relatively close, uh, so to speak. Maybe I'm maybe thinking of the wrong map, but uh, yeah, it's that. Crossed my uh, crossed my news desk of earthquakes. Always very interested in that uh, when that occurs. Uh, I know I've mentioned here several times that I've only ever experienced one earthquake in my life, and it was hundreds of miles away. Kind of a weak one that I thought was a truck driving by uh, too close to the sidewalk and whatnot. So I have not uh, uh, not I have not experienced an earthquake that I knew immediately was an earthquake. Uh, I hadn't been told by the news that there was an earthquake. But uh, anyways, to all my friends in Japan and Pakistan, hope you're doing well and managing through these earthquakes as best as possible. Uh, if there are any future ones in the coming week, I'll definitely be reporting about it. Next up, we go to the world of uh, news where MSNBC's political commentator Rachel Maddow uh, recently went underwent surgery for skin cancer. Uh, she had a cancerous mole removed from her neck. Uh, expects a complete recovery. They scooped it all out, so to speak. Um, and but uh, she used this uh, incident to remind people that she should always get things checked out, especially moles, to make sure they are not cancerous. Skin cancer is one of the most common cancers there are. Uh, but also, if caught early enough, one of the easiest ones to treat. You just go a little, little scoopity scoop and get it out of there. And um, yeah, so uh, the her. A partner, photographer Susan McLula, uh, noticed the mole. Uh, they had been together for, you know, about two decades. And she noticed that the mole had changed uh, in terms of size and color. And she said, you should really get that, really should get that checked out. And then uh, Maddow's hairstylist, because she's on TV all the time, uh, also noticed the mole had changed a bit. And so that uh, those two sort of notes encouraged Maddow to go see a doctor, get it checked out. They scooped it out, biopsied it, and it was actually uh, cancerous. Uh, dermatologists, just so you know, suggest that you wear suntan lotion as a preventive ma ma preventive measure to protect your skin from the sun that could, uh, you know, cause skin cancer. Especially skin cancer is something that your family, genetically speaking, is more likely to happen. Um, it is. It is. It's, it's a good thing to do. Now, also, also. Uh, it's also good to wear suntan lotion even on cloudy days, okay? Just because there's clouds out there doesn't mean UVA rays can't go through them and still damage your skin. They can. They can, okay? Uh, you can get a sunburn or damage your skin on a cloudy, overcast day. So just a, just a good, good set policy to have. If you're going to be outside for an extended period of time, put suntan lotion on, arms, face, neck, ears, things are exposed to the skin. Um, I know I do. I'm a redhead, so, like, I get sunburn on a uh, full moon, basically. Uh, that's a phrase to say. It actually happens. But it happens. So, whenever I am out and about doing yard work at my expansive estate, 
I always put suntan lotion on, wear a long shirt, and a wide brim hat to protect my skin from the sun so this handsome devil can continue being handsome and on the radio. So, anyways, uh, Rachel Bedell, she is, um, uh, she is, uh, recovering. She is recovering, uh, from a, getting a cancerous mole removed from her neck. So, if you have a mole, friends, uh, get checked out. Have it monitored by your doctors. Usually they're fine. Every once in a while, they may not be. And it's best to get that taken care of before it gets a little out of hand. We now go to South Africa, where Archbishop Desmond Tutu uh, has turned 90 years old, celebrating his 90th birthday uh, this week. He uh, went to a special service in Cape Town uh, at St. George's Church, where um, they uh, had a service, and they sang happy birthday to him. Uh, Well-known leader, uh, Nobel Peace Laureate, uh, dubbed the moral compass of the nation and uh, an anti-apartheid icon, uh, very popular, very seen as a moral compass of the company, uh, the company, the, the country down there. Uh, turning 90 years old, he attended the service with his wife of 66 years, Leah. They've been married together for quite, quite a long time, and uh, yeah, he was, um, he is, he is, uh, he turned 90 years old uh, in a fiery sermon. Uh, given by uh, Alan Bosak, he said, "If people, if some people had their way, you would already, you had been dead already. Their wish would have been just for Desmond Tutu to gone, or to shut up, or be shut. But here you are. Uh, it was an hour-long low-key service, and um, many people gave tribute to him, including current president Cyril Ramaphosa." Uh, called Tutu a fighter for the cause of human rights, for equality and social justice throughout the 59 years of his orientation as the Archbishop, and also uh, got well wishes from uh, other leaders around the world, including U.S. President Joe Biden. Uh, but uh, Desmond, Desmond Tutu has uh, been a tireless activist uh, in recent years. In recent years. Uh, he has criticized the ruling government of South Africa, the African National Congress, uh, for nepotism and cronyism uh, since taking over in 1994. He has confronted the Anglican Church and challenged uh, Nelson. Uh, he's, he's confronted um, homophobia in, in the Anglican, Anglican, uh, Anglican, Anglican, the church he's a part of, and also uh, criticized Nelson Mandela for uh, generous salaries for cabinet members and uh, criticized uh, corruption that uh, appeared under ex-president Jacob Zuma. Um, so, you know, even even when apartheid ended in 1994, he continues to speak out against the wrongs in South Africa. Uh, he was ordained at the age of 30 and appointed at the as an archbishop in 1986. Uh, he lobbied for international sanctions against apartheid and for human rights on a global scale. Uh, and he uh, has pretty much, you know, kept a low profile in the last um, the last uh, 11 years. Um, and uh, after he ended his role as the 
head of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, which handled post-apartheid crimes and trying to bring out the truth of what happened there. And uh, he retired in 2010. Retired in 2010 and spends his days at home with his daughters Naomi and uh, Mufo and grandchildren and great-grandchildren, which is, uh, you know, hey, more power to him, more power to him. So anyways, uh, Archbishop, South African Archbishop Desmond Tutu, he is turning, he turned 90 years old this this week, and boy howdy, he has had quite a life and has made a lot of difference in a lot of people's lives around the world. Now, I hate to do this to my good friend DC, but it's hard to follow Desmond Tutu, but I'll try my best. My pal DC, he is a world-class DJ, and we are lucky to have him here on AWSM Radio because his show, DC Live, in effect, he mixes it up. Uh, Fridays at 9 p.m., Sundays at 10 p.m. You, my friends, do not want to miss out while he smashes it on the ones and twos kicking the beats from a South Florida compound week in and week out. He is a fantastic DJ, uh, my personal DJ. Whenever I need a, a an event appropriately DJed, he's my pal. I call him first. I mean, he's usually so busy, he's unavailable, but he's the first person I call. And if you want to hear the samples of his wonderful work, then you, my friends, need to tune in to AWSM Radio, Fridays at 9, Sundays at 10, to listen to DC Live in Effect. Next, my friends, we move on to the gas market, where gas and heat prices are expected to increase 30% this winter in many areas. You're probably asking yourself, Ah, oh, I knew it! Those, those so-and-sos that, that government are increasing. No, friends, listen, it's it's... It's increasing because uh, there is an economic recovery going on right now uh, as the world opens up from COVID-19. So there is more demand for natural gas and things like that. So when there's more demand, prices go up and production cannot keep up with demand. Uh, as you may have imagined, in the last 18 months, not a whole lot of new natural gas wells were being made and whatnot. So... Production has slowed a bit, while demand has sped up a bit. Therefore, increase in prices. So, friends, um, experts say that uh, if you want to save a few bucks, uh, now is a good time to get a new heater that's more fuel efficient, and also cleaning the filters in heaters to make sure uh, airflow is as easy as possible. So, uh, you may not know how to do that, so... I would recommend perhaps getting a uh, heating and air conditioning expert in to perhaps look at your system to make sure everything is functioning correctly. But, uh, you know, watch watch your heat bills. Maybe not jack it up to 80 during the winter. You could probably get by at, you know, 63 and a hoodie and some sweatpants uh, to help save, save yourself a few bucks this winter. And uh, if you are having trouble paying your heating bill in the United States here, there are a lot of programs out there for heating assistance. Uh, it, it does require you to jump through a few, few hoops. They don't make it easy. But it is worth checking out to make sure you uh, can have yourself make ends meet. Make ends meet. So uh, now is the time to start poking around. Uh, either sign up for programs to uh, you know make payments or get some assistance. Do it now, so by the time they process your application, you know, it'll be, it'll be, it'll be winter then, so nothing ever moves that quickly in terms of assistive programs, so best now to get started. 
Next, we go to Mars in space, where the uh, new Mars rover Perseverance has found evidence of an ancient flash flood uh, on Mars, proving more so than ever that there was once water on the red planet. Um, the Perseverance landed near a ancient lake in Delta, and uh, from the satellite images, you have a pretty good idea what's going on there, but having actual close-up pictures only uh, has uh, has reinforced scientists' opinions of what was going on there. Uh, as it's sort of moving along, there are, these, there are these huge boulders that are left out on top of the Earth, well, not the Earth, the, the ground there, um, on Mars, uh, as you know, when water flows, it carries little bits of rocks with it and moves rocks around. When there's flash flooding, it carries bigger rocks. Um, you probably have all been near a stream sometime, and after a big heavy rainstorm and really heavy water, rocks are all moved around. Now, if there's heavy enough flash flooding, big rocks, big boulders get pushed downstream, and uh, they think that some of these rocks have been moved over 40 miles uh, millions and billions of years ago and left there to lay. Uh, they are kind of out of place in this area and the rocks are spread out across the ground here on Mars, much like they have seen elsewhere on Earth when there has been flash flooding as well. So uh, it looks like, uh, you know, you know, three, four billion years ago, uh, there was a flash flood and water were moved these rocks around and left them out there and then obviously things changed on Mars. The water either evaporated or went underground and left the rocks there. So, just more proof that these, um, these, uh, this plant once had water. Uh, according to Amy Williams, who is a co-author uh, of uh, uh, Astrobiologist at the University of Florida, uh, she says, it helps us understand so much more about the water cycle on Mars. From orb orbital images, we knew it had to do with water that formed the delta, but these images is like reading a book instead of just looking at the cover. This is the closest I will ever get to going to Mars and doing this work in person. Seeing these rocks as I would in real life, looking them up close, it's really staggering and really beautiful. Uh, this uh, rover, which landed in February, which I did some stories about, has that drone on it that uh, will fly up in the air and whatnot, has continued to um, uh, send back amazing pictures, uh, scoop up pieces of ground that will be brought back eventually to be studied, is doing a lot of uh, a lot of amazing work up there on Mars. So more discoveries on Mars from Perseverance, the little rover over there. And uh, as more discoveries or images come across my news desk, I will bring them to you. But they're definitely worth checking out. If you haven't already, if you, you go on the Google, check out the new Mars images on there. In fact, in fact, they even have the first recorded sound on Mars as well. I mean, it just sounds like wind in a desert and whatnot. But it's the first time anyone has actually heard, actually heard sound from Mars. So very, very, very neat if you like science, which I do. We now go from Mars to historical Williamsburg, where scientists believe they have uncovered, uncovered the first historic First Baptist Church original structure. The First Baptist Church is the, uh, one of the first, I think I believe the first all black congregation in the United States. Uh, and they have found the original structure of that original building 
which has been buried for 165 years. Um, it was uh, they built it in Williamsburg. Uh, then another structure was built over it in 1856. And then in the 50s, it had, was torn down and paved over and turned into a parking lot. Uh, but now that area is being excavated by archaeologists to find the old 16 by 20 foot foundation of the original building, which is just just crazy that they found it. They're very excited about that. Um, so they, they had a pretty good idea where it was. They thought it was underneath this uh, this building they built in 1856. And once they dug down a bit more, they found a coin from the 1817 and some tacks and some uh, nails that were used in that time. So they're they're pretty sure that uh, this is the original structure that was found. Uh, they're very excited about it. Um, uh, the president of Let Freedom Ring Foundation, an organization aimed at the preservation and, and conservation of Williamsburg's historic black churches, said it was one of the most uh, great, a great discovery that they never anticipated would ever happen. Um, she, uh, Connie, Ho Connie Harshaw is in charge of that. Uh, she says, never in our wildest imagination did we think that we would find intact burials, and they found some graves there, or even the foundation of the 1818 structure. It's just mind-blowing. It's a pretty remarkable discovery. Now, um, the first the first uh, congregation uh, began in 1776 when, a, when groups of free enslaved black men and women met in secret with the sole purpose of uh, worshiping together, despite laws against them congregating, they became the original First Baptist Church congregation. Uh, then, in the 1800s, a Williamsburg man by the name of Jesse Cole, uh, moved by the congregation's hymns and prayers, offered to build them a building in what is now uh, on Nassau Street in the historic area of the town. Uh, however, the building was short-lived, uh, it was destroyed in a tornado, unfortunately. Uh, then a building was built over the area in 1856 uh, before it was torn down in the 1950s uh, and paved over with a parking lot. Uh, they weren't they weren't too heavy on history in the 1950s, apparently. Uh, but uh, they've dug up the area. They found some burial shafts and some bone fragments. Uh, the original foundation. They are carefully excavating the entire area for historical artifacts and whatnot and um, it's uh, when when the um, when the when the when the sorry when the 1856 building was torn down in uh, the 1950s uh, some of the descendants and children of that congregation today say they still remember worshiping in that old building and hearing stories about the first building so they are very glad to see that it's finally being excavated and these artifacts are going, uh, being pulled out of the earth, which is pretty, pretty amazing. Uh, archaeologists, uh, with guidance from the current First Baptist Church, began digging in the area in September 2020. Um, they've been working in phases, uh, hoping to uncover previous church structures, including uh, the 18 meeting, 1818 meeting house, which they found this week. Um, they've discovered some, uh, burials and whatnot, and, uh, so far they found, uh, at least 25, um, burials in the area, so they plan to treat those very, very carefully, 
and uh, they're going to continue to work on the area and whatnot. They're going to work uh, Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. Uh, it's a public excavation, uh, so people can walk by. They can't go into it, obviously, but they can watch them working on this area. Uh, it is going to be a multi-year project that is being funded primarily by individual donors, which is pretty, pretty great. So I'm glad they found it. be interesting to see uh, what what this uh, discoveries end up being and whatnot, which they'll put on display. Uh, if you're more curious about this, uh, I would suggest you visiting firstbaptistchurch.org or colonialwomsburg.org for more information about this excavation. As a history nerd myself, I found it to be very, very, very fascinating. So um, definitely worth checking out. Now, what does not require a multi-year process of archaeologists to discover is the Rock Sessions, is our drive time show, making sure your evening commute home is fun, featuring the highest music on the charts and some other surprises in between. My pal Rocks will make it rock, rock style, with the Rock Sessions. It's not just on Monday, but it's on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, 5 p.m. to 7 p.m., I think you'll enjoy it. I know I enjoy it. You need to listen to The Rock Sessions right here, only on AWSM Radio. Download the app, bookmark the website, listen to it, listen to The Rock Sessions. I'm telling you, you need to do it. It's a fantastic way to listen as you drive home, you're stuck in traffic. The Rock Sessions will help you get from point A to point B, entertained and informed. Next up, we go to the world of art and boxing. Yes! Art and boxing. Uh, recently, this week, Muhammad Ali, who passed away five years ago, uh, 28 pieces of the legendary boxer's artwork was put for auction, and they fetched about a million dollars. You probably ask yourself, I don't... I, wait, what? Muhammad Ali was an artist? Well, I mean, he wasn't like, you know, the you know Monet or anything like that, but he drew some pictures and, you know, for his friend... Uh, Rodney Hilton Brown. Uh, his friend had taken over an art gallery in Soho, and he was looking for a world-class famous figure that could paint some paintings that we could make limited edition prints and sell. And in the 1960s, Muhammad Ali was as big as they came. Uh, he asked him for some help, and he, uh, he was all for it. Uh, I mean, it's a lot of, you know, stick figures and smiley faces and whatnot, but, uh, it's actual artwork by Muhammad Ali. Uh, Brown said he never claimed to be a great artist. He knew he was a great boxer in the world. But when it came to art, he said to me, I paint pictures with meanings. Um, two dozen of Muhammad Ali's works were auctioned off on Tuesday, uh, reflecting what the champ was thinking, not only about boxing, but also about religion, war, and social justice. Um, so his artworks... All but two of the 28 paintings sold on Tuesday, netting a total of four of nine hundred and forty-five hundred thousand dollars. Sorry, nine hundred dollars uh, at the auction house. Um, the one that sold for the most, "Sting Like a Bee," which uh, depicts him surrounded by fans, sold for four hundred twenty-five hundred three hundred twelve dollars. Um, Ali learned to paint from his father, Cassius Clay Sr., and uh, the company said that Ali painted and drew informally when he was young. 
Um, but uh, these original artwork pieces were uh, auctioned off this week. Uh, Muhammad Ali was a, th- for those, for trivia, uh, three-time world heavyweight boxing champion and cultural icon. Uh, he retired uh, from the sport at the age of 39 with 56 wins and five losses, and he died in 2016 at the age of 74. So uh, if you had money to burn, you missed your chance to own some original artwork by the great Muhammad Ali. We now go to another auction. Uh, Sotheby's, um, expecting the uh, masterpiece The Man of Sorrows by uh, Sandro Botticelli uh, to be auctioned off uh, this year for more than $40 million, showing the, uh, it's a painting of the resurrected Christ. Uh, obviously, a bit more money than Muhammad Ali and whatnot, but this was a uh, 15th-16th century Renaissance artist, uh, one of the old masters, so to speak. Um, and uh, it's going to be it's going to be sold at auction uh, this year. It's going to be touring uh, around the world on display to give people who want to buy it maybe the up close look of it. Uh, it's going to be in Hong Kong, uh, New York, London, and several other places. And um, <clears throat> and uh, you might if you have forty plus million dollars lying around, you might just get your hands on it. Uh, it was once owned by an English opera singer. And um, her family uh, and her family. It's now part of a private U.S. collection. Uh, the auction block is the auction has sold a lot of paintings this year. Um, another painting by Botticelli, uh, who painted this. Right? He made this. Yes, he made this. Uh, Botticelli, young man holding a roundel, sold in January 2021 for 92.2 million dollars. Um, this is one of his more famous works. So they're they're saying 40 million, but I wouldn't be surprised uh, if uh, if uh, it gets it gets more than that. Um, the Italian uh, artist also uh, was um, behind the mythical logical birth of Venus painting, which is a pretty famous painting of Venus being born out of a clamshell. Uh, he died in fifteen ten and whatnot. Uh, so this is going around the world. Uh, it's a one-in-a-lifetime uh, opportunity to buy it. Uh, the back-to-back auctions of these uh, paintings a year is very, very, very rare. Um, the, Ma- the Man of Sorrows reflects a sober, austere, and spiritual quality of Bottini's late career work. According to the news release, it depicts Christ head-on, his eyes mournful, wounds on his hands in plain view, and a halo of monochromatic angels holding instruments, including a cross, a column, and pinchers used in the Passion. Uh, the uh, director of it uh, says that this picture that has a psychological potency to it, it's about humanity. This is a full-on, in-your-face depiction, depiction of mortality and spirituality. The toughness of this image would appeal to someone who is not necessarily an old master collection. The, quote, old master is basically old Renaissance painters and whatnot. It's sort of an organization that categorizes and um, uh, get these paintings, you know, identified and people know what they're what they're all about. So it's going to be touring around the world from October 7th to October 11th uh, in Hong Kong. And then it'll be going to Los Angeles, London, Dubai, and then New York for its pre-sale showing. And... Um, yeah, so it's a, a very rare painting going up onto the auction block. And if you've got the money, you might get yourself the painting. Good luck. 
or become a sponsor of the show. I mean, they're both very valuable. Just saying. Now, a truly priceless work of art is our sports show here on AWSM Radio, Married to the Game. It is uh, our sports show that airs every Wednesday at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, featuring Brian, Joe, and Mac Daddy, who will bring their analytics, insights, and expertise to the table on all things games. And you know what, friends? What kind of sports show would it be if there wasn't a little bit of uh, the trash talking going on? And uh, So it's, it's a fun show for you to catch up on all things sports throughout the week. Tune into Married to the Game Wednesdays at 9 p.m. at 8 on AWSM Radio, and follow these folks on Instagram: uh, Brian at Bolstered underscore Up underscore Sports, Nick at the Mac Daddy Ryan Show, Joe at Turn Up the Jets, and the show itself, Married to the Game MTTG Radio, all on Instagram. But failing in that, listen to it Wednesdays 9 p.m. Married to the Game right here on AWSM Radio. Finally this week, folks, Tina Turner has sold the rights to her music to a music catalog company, BMG, the latest artist to do that uh, this year. Uh, BMG, owned by the German media company Bertsolman AG, is going to be a partner with Tina Turner on all of her musical-related things. Uh, She's best known for What's Love Got to Do With It and The Best and is uh, is 81 years old. Uh, She enjoyed huge success with her husband, Ike Turner, in the 60s and 70s, and then became a solo artist in the 80s after her 1978 divorce from him. Um, She also sang the theme song from GoldenEye, a James Bond Bond movie, and was in a Mad Max movie, too. Mad Max and the Thunderdome, a great old Mel Gibson movie as well. Uh, Tina Turner has 10 solo studio albums, two live albums, two soundtracks, five compilations, and have sold 100 million records worldwide during her career. Um, she uh, is quoted to say in a statement, Like any artist, the protection of my life's work, my musical inheritance, is something personal. I'm confident that with BMG and Warner Music, my work is in the professional is in professional and reliable, reliable hands. Uh, she joins Bob Dylan and Mick Fleetwood, who made similar deals, deals this year, while a sort of startup group called the Hypnosis Songs Fund has snapped up rights to from Neil Young to Shakira. Uh, the pandemic-driven boom in music streaming has caused uh, a lot of people to be interested in buying rights to music for streaming purposes. Uh, according to BMG CEO Hatwig Marsh, uh, he says that Tina Turner's music journey has inspired hundreds of millions of people around the world and continues to reach new audiences. So, uh, congratulations, Tina Turner. I'm sure she got a pretty penny for that. Uh, no amount of money was said in the statement, but given how great she is, uh, it's probably quite a bit, quite a bit of money. Before I wrap up today, I just want to give a, two quick shout-outs to two new groups of friends. Uh, I started to play Dungeons and Dragons online. I obviously got a voice for adventure, and so I decided to take my skills over there. Never done before. Uh, very welcoming people, and have had a great time. Uh, very, very welcoming group and community. So. Uh, if you haven't thought about doing it, you should give it a shot. So, shout out to my friends in the Candle Keep Adventures, as well as my friends at CampDnd.com who brought me in, helped me get my feet wet, and I am I'm I'm doing a fantastic job. So, you may just see Colt Sebastian Taylor, yes, play myself as a rogue online. You may just see me if you poke around in that world. 
So that just wraps up this week's Saturday Report with me, Colt, Sebastian, Taylor. Thank you for joining me here. And remember, you can find me on the Twitter, the Rizzle, the Cameo, the Instagram, the Twitter, at Colt S. Taylor. And if you haven't already, subscribe to the podcast version of this show at anchor.fm slash Colt S. Taylor and bookmark ColtSebastianTaylor.com. Until next week, my fantastic, wonderful friends, I am, of course, your personal rogue adventurer slash radio host, Colt Sebastian Taylor, and I'll see you later. <laughs>